I'm going to just note real quick that um, I am a little bit hopped up on painkillers right now. So. Cool. <laughs> oh, Sweet. Okay. we'll see how well I'm able to keep this on track. What do you want? <laughs> Tramadol. There you go. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oof. And this is going nice to be loose. real <laughs> loosey goosey. <laughs> Aerial killers. Am I right, you guys? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Murder Husbands, an episode-by-episode -episode deep dive appreciation of the Brian Fuller-created television series, Hannibal, based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. We are Popsicle, a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories. I'm Lisa K. Weber, artist and co-creator of the indie sci-fi fantasy comic, Hex 11. With me as always are my esteemed Popsicle co-hosts, First up, my dear colleague in writing. Ooh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> this thing pops out because my ears are too small. My ears are too small. <laughs> oh, tiny ears. They are. Look at how tiny, tiny they are. Lisa K. Weber. Um, I prefer I to think of them small. as dainty, not small. Very. <laughs> Very. All right. First up, my dear colleague and writing and creative partner on Hex 11, Kelly Sue Milano. Hi, Kelly Sue. Hi. Um, next up, the writer of the noir fantasy webcomic Hunter Black and the upcoming Netflix animated series Sonic Prime, Justin Penniston. Hi, you Justin. You make me sound so exciting. <laughs> Next, author, space enthusiast, and cross-stitcher to the stars, Claire Thorne. Cross-stitcher to the stars. Just those are not <laughs> famous people. They're actual stars. Like I'm cross-stitching my way to whatever is closest to us in the galaxy. Yep. Sure. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> and lastly, but not leastly, actor, writer, producer, TikTok dancer, it's Philip Kelly. Here I am. Philip. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, here we all are. So let's dive in to discussion. Oh, before we dive into discussion, Justin and Kelly Sue will take us through a quick recap of Hannibal's first episode, Aperitif. Let's go. The series opens, of course, with a crime scene. Standing in the middle of the room, Will Graham investigates, using his ability to see the murder through the killer's eyes. As he comes to a grisly conclusion about the nature of the homicide, we see that he is simultaneously sharing his insights with a lecture class at the FBI Academy as a way to show them the murderer's design. After class, Will is approached by Special Agent Jack Crawford, head of the Behavioral Science Unit, about assisting him in a case of eight missing college girls, the most recent being Elise Nichols. Upon questioning her parents, Will quickly deduces that she was taken from her home and discovers her corpse arranged neatly, almost apologetically, in her bed. During the autopsy, they discover Elise Nichols had A, been mounted on deer antlers, and B, had liver cancer, their first hint that the killer is a cannibal. She had been returned to her bed because, as Will puts it, the meat was bad. Will, understandably, begins to have sweaty nightmares. Jack consults Dr. Alana Bloom for an assessment of Will, but she refers him to Dr. Hannibal Lecter, a criminally sexy private psychiatrist. Jack introduces Hannibal to Will, and shortly afterward, a young woman's body is found in a field, literally mounted on antlers. The killer is dubbed the Minnesota Shrike, and Will is convinced this murder is the work of a copycat. The victim is also missing her lungs. 
Cut to Hannibal as he knifes, prepares, and eats a set of fucking lungs. Hannibal and Will meet to look over a construction site with a connection to the murder. There they find records of Garrett Jacob Hobbs, a man recently resigned from his job who fits Will's profile. While Will is distracted, Hannibal makes a secret courtesy call to Hobbs to warn him he's about to be caught. As Will and Hannibal arrive at the Hobbs residence, Garrett Jacob Hobbs bursts through the front door, slicing his wife's throat and tossing her on the ground. Will follows him into the house and shoots him dead, just as he's about to offer the same fate to his daughter, Abigail. We close with a peaceful Hannibal and a very fucked up Will at Abigail's hospital bedside. <laughs> oh, thanks, Welcome. guys. Sweaty nightmares. <laughs> yeah. Sweaty nightmares. Oh, so sweaty. Ooh, so sweaty. Dripping. Um, <laughs> and criminally sexy therapy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Hey, so it's murder one. husbands after all. So after all, um, come on. <laughs> so, all these things are true. Yes. Um, so let's just. I just kind of wanted to start off with like a general, like first episode. Let's dive into these characters that we have been introduced to. Um, we've got Will Graham, we've got Jack Crawford, we've got Hannibal Lecter, and we've got mm. Alana Bloom as our kind of like four main people we've been introduced to really so yeah. far. So uh, what do we think of them and how they fit into like the unique world mm. of this show? Mm. Anyone? <laughs> Kelly, I, I, Kelly no, Sue has yummy thoughts. I know. <laughs> can see them those were, cooking them up. You know, those are my thoughts initially. <laughs> Just mm. a little shoulder shimmy. Yeah, I mm -hmm. think we should start with Phil because you've only seen these two episodes. Are the I've first only seen these episodes, right? first two episodes, and yeah. I, I think the most visceral visceral reaction I had to a character was I think her name is Beverly Katz. Uh, interrupting the crime scene investigation that Will was having. I was like, <laughs> like, step off. I was like, get out of that room. What you and then she's like, and he interrupted me. I'm like, no, like I had a very visceral, I had a very visceral reaction to her interloping upon the crime scene. I was like, you don't, uh, you don't get to tell Will what to do and make him feel like he's the one doing the wrong yeah. thing. That is so great because it's like, um, uh, I mean, it's it's like I don't think it's a spoiler to say that it's like her character is just becomes so fucking fantastic on this oh, show. Sure. Yeah. Oh, so sure. it's interesting to like hear like a first time viewer's first reaction to her because I don't <laughs> yeah. remember how I first reacted to her because all I think of her is like, oh, I fucking love Beverly Cats. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I also Amazing. love Beverly Cats. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, yeah. it to be fair, although I not to to undermine your reaction, which is yeah. perfectly natural, you know, and, and <laughs> probably similar to what I initially had, she is probably not expecting someone to be doing, you know, oh sure, psychic trauma in in oh, her sure. crime scene. You know, <laughs> oh, it sure. is her crime scene. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. So, indeed. indeed. Yeah. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. know that that was that was the initial reaction. It, it calmed down after a few moments. My initial <laughs> yeah. reaction. Yeah. But immediately, I was like, lady. Oh yeah, um, I, I just like her. I, I like her sort of. I don't give a fuck, you know, sort of, sure. you know, quality sure. how she approaches. Sure. Well, I like yeah. too that it it's kind of the first um, time that we are given a little bit of a hint that what what we're being told by Will or that what we think is the series of events or the order of events um, through Will's eyes is not going to be 
reliable because you kind of walk away from that going, okay, wait, did she interrupt him or did he interrupt her? And Mm -hmm. who does he even remember the order of events or was he so lost in everything that he just didn't even notice another person in the room? Like, is he that out of it? And, and so the question of, of how (laughs) together he is, how much he um, can even reliably narrate to himself what he's done is immediately established with her. I also, also, and I just want to put this out there that I know we're going to jump into obviously talking about the big characters in the show, but I have such a wild appreciation for these, these secondary characters like Beverly and the other two guys, the, the, oh yeah. The oh, uh, medical uh, examiner guys. guys, yeah. French like, French steward is great. I'm oh, enough. God. I'm enough of a procedure. What the <laughs> fuck, Phil? <laughs> what isn't that? Fr- who is that? French steward. French, French steward. Scott is it? fucking Thompson. Oh, it's Scott Thompson. That's so funny. Like I had in my oh head my the minute I saw him. I misplaced faces. That's hilarious. I don't know why I had French Stewart in my mind. Absolutely not. Yeah. That yeah, yeah. is. Although that would be phenomenal. amazing if it had been. That is yeah. phenomenal. What just That's happened funny. here today? I don't know why. I don't know why I had French Stewart in my head. Uh, oh, I will Lisa. say when you said French Stewart, I did know who you were talking about. You were talking sure, about sure. Well, yeah, it's just like yes. easily mixed up in my head there for sure. Oh, I, I immediately knew who he was talking about too. Like, you know, the. It's not that difficult a leap to come up with fresh Fred Stewart, French Stewart instead right. of Scott Thompson. Yeah. Right, right, right. You know, but so we're not actually calling you completely crazy. Ellie, Sue, and I are <laughs> you're not crazy. You're just funny. as long, long, long time fan of Kids in the Hall, specifically yeah. yes. Buddy Cocktail. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. it is slightly blasphemous to me but <laughs> i'll allow it absolutely anyway yeah. as i was saying <laughs> i i am a long time huge fan of crime procedurals and especially ones like this that are very serious you know i like the whole british british crime dramas are my oh, end of the spectrum oh, right like very totally. serious and and dry and and Mm. ghoulish and all of that Mm. stuff but with tea interspersed here and there which i think cannibal gives us but just in a kind of a really macabre way but and then we'll get back to that but i have been fascinated for years with the the choices that these show producers make in in the secondary characters and who and, and in particular there's always the character you know the the gruesome murder happens and then we have to pop over to the autopsy And the medical examiner doing the autopsy to me is just always the most fascinating character in these procedurals. And they're always, I think, given a very specific role to play to like, you know, bounce off of the main character and give us indications about who the main character is going to be, et cetera. Um, And I didn't really realize how much I was tuning into this until I watched um, the Perry Mason show on HBO. Oh, sure. With Matthew Reese and that medical examiner and that whole, all of the interactions he has when he goes to the autopsy room in that show are just absolutely freaking brilliant and hilarious. And it just triggered something in me about like, oh, I have, I really do need to go back and go through all of the shows that I've loved and pull all of these characters together and do a comparison of them because, Mm. and, and these and the fact that they have a team of them, and I think that, that Hannibal is very purposefully giving us, obviously, comic relief, right? Like, because mm. we need that. 
But we also need something that that portrays that this this investigation unit is a serious unit. It's not just we're not just going to go have like one guy cutting up bodies. You know, they need a team of people working on this shit yeah. because it's 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 serious stuff that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, yeah, that that was my. I'm going off on side characters already, and we haven't even talked. No, about I know. The oh, I, I love, love it though. I, yeah, we'll I just want to support character. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. To jump off of that, that Beverly. My feeling is that Beverly Katz often is like the voice of maybe the audience. Mm-hmm. You know, like she walks into this crime scene and she's like, "Who are you? You're not real FBI. Oh, are you unstable?" <laughs> I just love that. And you I, can't tell you can't tell if she's maybe a little bit worried or she's like, oh, interesting person. I am totally I'm very keen on, on knowing. And you I totally <laughs> admire that so much because she's just like, let's just call it what it is. You're in here doing like daydreaming. <laughs> oh, I'm in here actually doing a job. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I love and it gives us so much like we see so much of Will Graham through these characters, through Jack and Alana and, mm-hmm. you know, Zeller, Price and Katz. Um, and I love that because on his own, you're sort of like, what is his deal? Like, mm. I remember when I first watched this, I was like, what is, what actually is, is he, he is he, I, it's, it was so hard for me to delineate when he's dreaming and when he's actually in real life. And I love that about the character of Will. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. on purpose. Oh, oh yeah. Like yeah, most definitely. Set up a character saying, I don't like dealing with people. You need to push oh. people in his face over and over again. Totally. And that's that's what's happening. And that's wonderful. I mean, I, I that was my reaction to Beverly, but I do love that. I do love that. I did love that reaction. I was like, I got it. You know, I got yeah. that. Uh, you know, I, I understood why it was happening. So I watched this pilot a bunch of times. When I when it first came, when it first aired, you know, I I saw the ads on the sides of buses, and I was like, I like Hannibal Lecter. I'm going to DVR this. Yeah. So I set up to DVR, and DVR, I sat down to watch it like a day or two later, and I was so like blown away by it. Like I think I watched it two or three times that day. You know, mm. like I was really really impressed. Um. And now for the first time, I'm really struck by something. The first time we see Will. Mm-hmm. At the the initial crime scene, he's dressed exactly like Sam and Dean Winchester from Supernatural. <laughs> God, yeah, he is. You know, which he doesn't. <laughs> I mean, and he he's got that sort of you know plaid denim chic thing going anyway. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. But I was wondering because Brian Fuller is a TV dude, like th- that's that's his bread and butter. I was yeah. wondering, is this intentional? Is this a visual cue mm. that telling the audience? that Will Graham hunts monsters. Ooh. Whoa. You know? Like that, that's what I found myself feeling like in that moment because it was such a like, like a real, like maybe it's because I watched a couple episodes of Supernatural recently. So I really was like, oh shit, he's just like Gene, like Dean, you know? And so I, I think Brian Fuller is the kind of guy who would watch Supernatural, you know, cause he's into mm-hmm. genre shit. Solid show, and yeah. So, like, I, I really felt that, and I felt like it was a real, especially on a show that relies so much on its own visual language mm-hmm. to, 
you know also very husbandy yeah yes also you know for the shippers out there this is a very you know this is laying down roots shall we say totally extreme (laughs) shipping (laughs) wow um uh, that is levels deep y'all yeah let's just get in there let's just dig it up i will say i also noticed something this time that i hadn't noticed before Uh, and obviously you can't notice it on your first time and i'm gonna say this obliquely so i don't spoil anything for philip Sure. But I never realized how much of the groundwork of what is to come is laid in this episode. Yes. Oh, yeah. You they know? pretty much. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Now, Again. I'm talking about character stuff, not just, uh-huh. you know, the, the Garrett Jacob Hobbs and how that lingers. But yeah. Um, and like, we're going to come back to this later in the season. And I'm going to be like, Phil, this was blah, 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 blah. And it was so perfectly disguised and made to seem like just a part of the story there, you know, like like at hand. We're going to come back to episode one, some groundwork that was laid in episode one at the end of season two. Yeah, that's oh yeah, how, for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. how yeah. like, I, yeah, I, I feel they game, were of what they were doing. I feel <laughs> the game being played already. Like I feel the game starting for the yes. long run in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, yeah. How many people came to this show that didn't understand or know the, the character, at least of Hannibal Lecter? I mean, you might not have seen Red Dragon, so you might not have understood Will Graham yeah. or had an idea of that character. But th- this is kind of unique in some ways in that here's, here's a, a show that is going to be telling three seasons or hopefully more of stories about characters that everybody already understands. And there are, and they're also not, not just that, but they're also telling the stories that have already been told uh-huh. in some cases. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine approaching that as a writer and having the, the confidence required to say, okay, I'm going to be able to do this in a way that is unique and fresh and offer something that is interesting and, yeah. But they do, they absolutely, they absolutely achieve it. Oh yeah. Well, I, I would say totally that agree. they clear the bar and then some. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I yeah. mean, it's an argument can be made that, Han- that going into this show, Hannibal Lecter was maybe the second best known movie villain behind Darth oh, Vader. Darth Vader. You know what I mean? hundred percent. You know, like everyone knew Hannibal Lecter and Anthony Hopkins was so iconic. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he created this amazing game. He got a best actor Oscar when he was on screen for like 20 minutes. Yeah. You know, like it's like- oh, ins- not even insane. 20 minutes. I think yeah. I, I was listening uh, to something today. I don't know if it's, it's accurate, but it was, I think he has seven minutes of total screen time. Mm-hmm. No, I think wow, it's more really? than that. Is it's it gotta more? be more than that. Yeah. Well, 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 it might be, I might be including him as being on screen when we're actually mm. just looking at we're actually talking Clarice oh. Star- Starling you know what sure. I'm saying yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah so his actual sum total might be easily that seven minutes mm-hmm. um so you know it and I and I read Red Dragon I read Silence of the Lambs I read Hannibal you know I'd seen all the movies I you know, the only I haven't seen Manhunter um but all of that stuff, like I felt myself, like you know, I, I'm 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 a part of the Hannibal verse. I'm a fan. I get this, you know. Oh, so yeah. I kind of approached this with like a real like snooty, you know, attitude. Like you know, <laughs> you? I'm curious, but this better be good. Justin. You know? <laughs> 
sorry. Kelly Sue just confirmed that we all think you're really snooty, but that's not exactly. I, I want you to know <laughs> not that at I all. put up with this shit from my wife. I don't have to put up with it from you guys. Right. I just want to go on the record as saying that I wouldn't choose the word snooty. No. But how can you be? But you did. <laughs> yes. yes. How can you be the explainer? Without being not, yes. like, it's true. It's true. But continue. all of this is to say, you know, because Mads Mickelson as Hannibal and his introduction, of course, you start him off Gorgeous. cooking and eating, you know, yeah. was, was amazing. And really instantly, without a single word of dialogue, started to make the character mm -hmm. his as opposed to Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. But also, because I loved A Silence of the Lambs is a brilliant film. And one of my favorite actors is in it is Jack Crawford. I love Scott Glenn. Oh yeah, that guy is the man. So I felt like Lawrence Fishburne had a, a, an uphill climb. Mm -hmm. Boy, he seizes that character quickly. Mm -hmm. yeah, and does. takes ownership wow. of it. You know, like yep. You know, you, you sometimes think of Jack of uh, Lawrence Fishburne in these bombastic roles. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? But the man's a, a, a true actor too, and just mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, mm. And mesmerizing I, in a yes. role where he's so um, subtle. And and yeah. big ups to Brian Fuller for realizing how freaking Lily White and male Thomas Harris and the various adaptations made these stories. Oh, yeah. And for making Alana Bloom a woman, for making Freddie Lowndes a woman, for making mm -hmm. Jack Crawford a black man. You know, like these things they're important, you know, yeah. and they make it more of the now. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The introductions of Will, Jack, and really the only character whose introduction I didn't love for a character who I come to love is Alana Blooms. Yeah. yeah. You know, because her character's not given a whole lot of individuality or agency yet. She's really mm -hmm. just like, I'm here to protect Will, you know, and it's like there's not much more to her in this in this first episode than that, you know. Definitely um, gonna be having you read some dialogue of hers every episode. We know who's playing Alana in the the audio drama remake of exactly. Hannibal from. Popsicle. You said you weren't gonna let him get too close. <laughs> Unbelievable perfection. <laughs> audio drama. Oh, so amazing. That's a really great Alana Bloom you have there. <laughs> um, I completely agree with everything that you're saying, Justin. I was hesitant for years and years to watch this show because I was like, I don't know. I love Silence of the Lambs. I love Red Dragon. I do. I do love the film version Red Dragon. A lot of people are like, eh, I like it. I thought it was great. Um, and so I was like, I don't know, am I really going to get into this dude as Hannibal Lecter? I mean, really, but from the get go, you're like, I'm in, mm -hmm. didn't even have to think about it. I was just like, there's something fascinating going on with you. And I want to really figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I, re I rewatched Red Dragon to a couple of days ago mm. um and a re-watching it it was um, because it'd been so long since i'd watched that or even yeah. silence of the lambs yeah. in relationship to watching this show and so it was a good refresher in terms mm. of just how much of the show 
really does connect back to the original story um, and the characters. And that's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But also my reactions to the portrayal of Hannibal and Will Graham. And and Mm. again, and I want to emphasize that I am not, I I do not want to take anything away from my love for Edward Norton or Anthony Hopkins because they're, they're both really, really great, Mm -hmm. but it, it, it says something about the choices that the show makes and that Mads Mikkelsen makes in particular. Well, not in particular, because also Hugh Dancy, the choices that he's making as well, just take these characters to a different place Mm -hmm. that is more more visceral to me because they feel like more real characters especially Hannibal I love Anthony Hopkins but his Mm -hmm. Hannibal especially in Red Dragon is very sneering and kind of slimy and whoever made the choice to give him a little rat tail like a little ponytail thing in in that when he's serving dinner and doing stuff it's like nope nope that doesn't that doesn't work he's yeah it's just not it's just not quite the right thing anymore and and it was then and I I'm Mm -hmm. it but going to where Mads Mikkelsen has taken this character and making this character feel so human as a is so much more human yeah. um, than he ever was before. It it really yeah. it really changes the way you see everything. Completely, so. well, I agree. It's hard not to feel like the format, the TV show format, just lends itself better to these characters. Mm. You know, these characters are complicated as hell. Yeah, you know, and by comparison. And I, again, not to take anything away from those movies, which I enjoyed Mm -hmm. from, certainly not from, you know, Sir Anthony Hopkins, who is, you know, an icon, you know, a titan. Um, But the the film versions, by comparison, are a little bit more of a caricature. Yeah. They're a little, Mm -hmm. you know, you're right about, you know, Hannibal's a little bit more sneering, a little bit more mustache twirling, Mm -hmm. a little bit like, nah, going to eat you too my pretty you know and it's just you know it's all the voices today Justin. i know i love it (laughs) um and i i think format really gives these characters life and fullness Mm -hmm. and and depth that you know the films couldn't achieve you know Mm -hmm. and i think those things that now seem almost cartoonish by comparison those are the tools you have to use to tell a full story and, you know, without a lot of real estate to work with, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think it's important that we come away from the show feeling like we would want to sit in a room, like we would actually want and to seek out the company of Hannibal Lecter in the show. It's, if you didn't know, if you didn't have the secret knowledge that the audience has about who mm-hmm. this character is, I could absolutely see myself going, yes, I need to spend time. I want him to be my therapist and I need to spend time with him and, and getting kind of addicted to that. You can see why the characters are gravitated or gravitate to him. He, uh-huh. it, and I don't feel the same way with, with uh, the Anthony Hopkins character and again i think yeah like exactly like you're saying justin it's because we don't get to see him in moments where that could be established Mm -hmm. in those in those and also hannibal's a different character you know hannibal the exposed and caught 
is not the mm -hmm. same person. He doesn't yeah. have to put on his person suit in the same way that Hannibal, the distinguished psychotherapist does, you know, yeah. so. Right, exactly. That's why I love like getting to know him at this time in his life mm. um, before he's caught because we haven't, I mean, other than Hannibal Rising, we, we never got that story. So yeah. I like that this exists where it is um, and that we get to see him this way and agreed that it's like what Claire was saying about how people gravitate to him. I would absolutely accept an invitation to his dinner parties and eat people like, Oh my God. Without knowing I was eating people. Mm -hmm. I would absolutely be like, yeah, this is delicious. <laughs> What's the Oof. next course? I would love that. I um, instantly was like, I will absolutely be in a room with you. And I know that you'd probably kill me. And I would also well, be like, let's do it. <laughs> Just be rude, you know? <laughs> I, I don't think you're rude enough to get eaten necessarily. I think, exactly, I think yeah. Kelly, see, you're, you're charming enough to save your own life. I think so. I think, well, yeah. but it would be nice to, you know, it'd be nice to do the dance. <laughs> with Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> with the Mads Mikkelsen, the Hannibal Lecter. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, a, that's a perfect all right exactly kind of what claire was talking about where it's like mm -hmm. you know i didn't have that experience watching hannibal lecter in the films you know it mm -hmm. was more of like a you know ooh, i'm just gonna i want to just dip my toe in to get a peek at this freak of nature kind of experience with the anthony hopkins portrayal but in this one i'm like um i want to be inside your face yeah <laughs> It's it's the lips. Um, it's Mads Mikkelsen's lips it's is really everything. what it comes down to. It's just the facial structure. And since we're kind of now going into the minutia of how visually appealing Hannibal Lecter is, uh -huh. let's go on to the question about the visualization of this show. Ooh, I love um, it. Because, yeah, the, the visuals on this show are like... Outstanding their really? art yeah. yeah they're very elevated and so I kind of let's let's go into it like set dressing costumes lighting mm -hmm. special effects like how all of this stuff kind of adds to the experience of the show and yeah. adds to like the story and everything can we just center our discussion with the word sensual Ooh, yes. yes sensual yes we can actually I just that's really great there. the because the first thing, and I know all of us probably feel this way, is that it taking into account the production value and like the the epicness of the way that the show looks and feels, um, it is not lost on me that this show was on network television In almost time. ten years ago. Yeah, mm -hmm. when it we were living totally different lives and we were relating with content in a completely different way. I mean, this was almost pre-streaming. Mm -hmm. And for this show to be, you know, we joke all the time about, give me that Amazon production quality. This, this is not far from that to me. And that it's, was so, gorgeous. I was so struck by that. Yeah, there I was amazed every week that the show was on I was like I cannot believe this is on network television oh. I cannot believe it <laughs> that thought echoed through my brain 
as I rushed home every Friday night after work <laughs> to watch my DVR copy yeah. with my, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, Lou, you know, because we were both rushing home from the same bar to, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, as we watched at every commercial break, we'd call each other. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, like I've already sort of hinted at this is this show clearly has a visual lexicon, you know. Yes. It you know beginning with the costuming, and mm -hmm. I think sensual is exactly the right word for it. Yes. Because, I mean, I've never said this before in my life, but this is a true statement. Ooh. I just wanted to touch Hannibal's jackets. I just wanted to rub my rub my hands on his suits. His suits were so impeccable. Mm -hmm. He was so perfectly outfitted at all times, you know. I mean, he was like James Bond if James Bond had his shit together. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying in terms of the way he he outfits himself and the way he looked in a suit, which yeah. is, you know, especially James Bond since wasn't Bond such villain. a friggin' crybaby. Seriously, you know. <laughs> well, and if you if you place when you place Hannibal like you were saying, Justin, next to Will Graham, who looks like he's out of Supernatural, right? Like he's yeah. they're they're making such a point that Will Graham is not part of this like establishment. He's not part of society. He's mm -hmm. he's removed himself. Um, but then you get kind of the flip side of that when they're in this episode when they go to the construction site. Um, looking for uh, Garrett Jacob Hobbs. Am yeah. I getting all of those names correct? I have a hard so time with three names. Three I usually names get one wrong. Killer. I know, yeah. yeah. Um, and how out of place Hannibal looks in that environment. Like the 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 idea of Hannibal Hannibal being in the field mm -hmm. um, and doing investigative work seems so wrong. It is not oh, yeah. his. That is not his place to be. And it. It, it kind of heightens that sense of just like jangliness we have about his characters like oh no and then showing up at the Hobbs house later and how he's just standing and watching as things are happening impassively. and will yeah impassively and it 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 mirrors the way they're dressed and the way they're presented to such a team it, it, yeah. it's the visual aspects of the show are always always telling us how to react and how to feel um to things when and the food preparation i'm a huge i'm i'm a m food movie i'm a i'm a whatever the name is for that i love i'm a foodie when it comes to movies yes. i i have a whole list of, of food movies that are my absolute favorite i i love just like food porn um not like food porn. It is food porn. And and I think this show does a really, because they could have gone really over the top yeah. and made it really cartoonish, the amount of food preparation uh -huh. scenes. And I, th I think they keep it right within where it needs to be to, but the, we're, we're introduced to Hannibal as he's eating lungs, like he's eating and, and yeah. his, the preparation I mean, he's literally pushing the air out of human lungs <laughs> and you're like, Ooh, that's a beautiful charcuterie board. And the voiceover well, of the scene is them talking about this girl who had her lungs taken out. Like they're happening simultaneously with these gnarly crime scene 
goings on. Right. But I'm right. also sitting here being like, that looks good. What? Well, watching Hannibal eat it, <laughs> well, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and <laughs> the actual so the, the actual first time we see him cooking is like right after um, Jack Crawford has a conversation with Alana Bloom about like, you know, Jack, or he wants basically yeah. someone to talk to Will about his problems. And mm -hmm. she is like, well, I know this other guy. And that's the first time we go to Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. And it's the lighting of that scene is like, he is sitting at his table. It's all black everywhere. You know, he's yeah. sitting at his table, beautiful spread and he's eating and the lighting is on him and his face literally looks like a skull. Yes. Like yeah. his eyes, the lighting is like, so his eyes are hollowed out mm -hmm. and like his cheekbones are really sharp. Yes. And he looks, he looks like death. Visually and... that moment, Lisa, mm -hmm. the, my literal thought as I was looking at that visual reminded me so much of those close-ups that were straight on with similar lighting, similar color palette as the Gary Oldman Dracula. Mm. Oh my God. So many of those images. Yes. Like, oh my God, this looks and feels so so much like that, even like down to his like really slight smile in those moments. Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, yeah. a minute. okay. I'm getting too, I feel so confused. I'm having a lot of feelings <laughs> right now. My body is responding in an interesting way. What's happening? Oh, okay, good. It's over. We're back to it. Oh my God. I think it's good to know that as we started this project, um, it was because Kelly Sue and Philip hadn't seen these episodes. And so uh, our audience just needs to understand that when we gave them the homework of like, go watch these shows, um, Kelly Sue first did it. And and the popsicle group text messaging feed was was a, a, a wonderful place where both Kelly Sue and then Phil both came at the same moment. And you knew we all, we all knew what moment it was in yeah. this first episode. They're oh, like, yeah. no, yeah. don't eat the breakfast. Don't eat the sausage. <laughs> don't eat the sausage. <laughs> oh my God. No. Oh God. And yeah, like I, I've said it before. So I'll say it again, like officially here. Um, I spent the first season watching this show being extremely stressed out about what people were eating. Oh, yeah. God, like, yes. and being, keeping very close track of who has eaten people at this point and who hasn't <laughs> eaten people. And I was like, like right off the bat in the first episode, Will's eating people. And I was like, ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Even though- Too late, you're no longer know. pure, Will. <laughs> we all know. Cannibal Lecter is mm -hmm. a cannibal yeah. going into this. Yeah. And yet yeah. I'm still sitting there being like, they're eating people? <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you don't think about, even having read the books, it's one thing to maybe read about it, another thing to see it. It's mm. sure, you know Hannibal eats people, but you don't really connect that to Hannibal feeding people to other people. That's yeah. that's mm -hmm. a whole horse of a different color. Do you know what I'm Completely. saying? Because yeah. it's like he's bringing all these otherwise innocent people in on the crime. You know, like he's making them somehow complicit, which makes the evil even more sinister. You know, right. it's just and that's what I love so much about this version of Hannibal that we're seeing is that it's like we're seeing that it's like he wants to shape the world. Mm -hmm. He wants to shape the world to the way he sees it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't see himself as an outlier. He sees everybody else in the world as outliers. He's himself, he sees himself almost as a trailblazer. Yeah. Yeah. 
And like, that's what continues to be so fucking fascinating about the way this character is portrayed in this show. Well, and it, Bill, we yes. haven't heard from you about the visual aspects at all. Not a piece. Yes. Yep. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, you know, it, this show has a lot. When, when this show came out, there were about a, a million procedurals out there. Um, all had a genius person that could solve crimes or could figure out, you know, what the uh, uh, disease was that was killing someone, you know, with house or whatever. So, I mean, this was like, I mean, these are pretty common tropes in network TV, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure Brian Fuller was like, I don't want to do it exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just do another procedural and get lost in the shuffle. And what I see happening with the show almost immediately is we are presented with people's mindscapes. Like we are put into people's heads uh, with the way things are lit, with how they're shot, with the sound. Like when we are in Hannibal's office, we are in Hannibal's mind. And there's a very different feel from Hannibal's mind than when there is with uh, Will who's on a crime scene, you know, which is doused in red and is, uh, uh, you know, everything moves backwards in a very strange way as he kind of sees things through. And immediately, like right away in the show, you're given like a visual motif that, uh, you know, with, you know, we always see brilliant people on crime scenes in TV shows. We don't see it like this. We don't see him falling into his imagination. We don't see him, we, we don't see a person like kind of rewinding elements in their head and then walking through it themselves and sort of that step-by-step -step uh, pattern um, as he kind of figures out how all these elements happen. So I, I think it's a um, really nice, really such a, a nice angle to kind of take the show at to create those kind of mental scapes um, so that we're presented not only with a story, but also kind of the, 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 the landscape of everybody's heads. And I, I really appreciate that about this show so far. I, um, yeah, I uh, can't. That, in that first scene, like the very first scene where we're seeing the very first crime scene mm -hmm. and we're seeing for the first time how Will sees. Mm -hmm. um, I love how it's, I mean, yes, you get the kind of swipe mm -hmm. thing. Um, and then the, the color just pops. Yeah. It's like yeah. super golden colored. Mm -hmm. And then when he kind of has to snap out of it in the middle to like ask for the records of the security company um it goes back to like this kind of desaturated mm -hmm. regular what we're used to seeing in a procedural mm -hmm. lighting I and can't... it's like even just that is just such a instant from the very first scene like oh we're doing something very different here yeah, yeah. i have to give credit to i don't i don't know what youtuber it was but somebody because i've watched so many different analyses of this show because it in some ways i just need a professional you know like cinematographer walking me through <laughs> everything that they're doing it's that okay. complex and that well thought out um but even in those shots lisa like you're saying it yes when we're we see that when we're in when Will's in his imagination, it is a homier place. He is, he feels at home when he's in that, that those moments. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the camera angle changes as well. So when we're, when we're with Will at the crime scene, he's, you know, kind of in the background and away from us. And then as soon as he moves into um, his his interior you know analysis of the scene it we get full close-ups of his face 
um, which also helps, you know, us uh, to feel that like uh, separation and, and social, you know, um, discomfort that he feels in a room full of people. He's never part of the room of, of people. He's always separate from them. It's just fascinating, everything that they do with it. It's, there's also, you know, it's no accident that, I mean, this show maybe feels the most like a Brian Fuller show out of anything that I've seen of his, in that, A, this is a guy who comes from science fiction and fantasy. So he portrays this extreme empathy of wills almost as a superpower, you know? Mm -hmm right down to, like you said, you know, changing the color palette, making it these warm sepia tones as opposed to, you know, the, the, the more sterile lighting of reality. Um, but he's also very much a TV guy mm-hmm. and not, not so much like, and he's, this is, a, you know, as we said already, this is, this is about network television. This was on NBC. Mm-hmm. And so he makes freaking genius use they make genius use of the commercial cuts you know i mean will says in the autopsy room he's eating them you know after they go through the whole lung cancer thing and they realize he's eating them cut immediately to a brief shot of hannibal eating dinner go to commercial do you know what i'm saying and that's our first time seeing hannibal you know it's And it's like, you go into commercials with that on your mind, with that like, <laughs> holy shit, you know what I mean? Like, come back, come back, come back, you know? You're, you're not going to go grab a snack during that commercial break. No, you know, like, <laughs> you may have to pee though, because, you know? Um, <laughs> then Hannibal said, later on in the episode, Hannibal says to Jack, this cannibal you have him getting to know, I think I can help Goodwill see his face. Cut commercial. As soon as we come back, the very next thing we see is the body on the antlers outside that Hannibal himself set up, you know? And it's freaking, it's amazingly cool. You know what I mean? It's so genius. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's, it's a part of the design aesthetic, you know, like the format, the way it's written is a part of that design aesthetic. And just to comment on what Phil was saying about the mindscapes on a certain level, it's important that this show is called Hannibal because on a certain level, certain choices are always reflective of Hannibal. Mm -hmm. Insofar as this show, no matter what it does, even when showing brutal murder scenes, (laughs) this show is unrelentingly elegant. Uh Yes. The splash of blood occurring on a wall looks like art. It does not look like murder. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. And Hannibal, brutal murderer that he is, is unrelentingly elegant. And I yeah. think that's, you know, that that through line carries through every mindscape, every visual, every, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's all about making this sure this show in, in that respect is about Hannibal, even when he's not there. Well, yeah, because I think for the most part, Will sees that elegance. So yeah. when he's walking through it. Yeah. It's why our it's why we have a segment called Exquisite Corpse. <laughs> 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 uh, which we will get to after the break.
welcome back. Let's keep talking. Um, so one of the things that I found really interesting about this first episode and setting up Will and Hannibal was like really focusing in on like, you know, it's talked about how Will is so empathic that it's pretty much a disorder and um, that, and, you know, we're talking about psychopaths, which Hannibal Lecter obviously is. Um, and so I kind of wanted to talk more about this kind of empathy versus psychopathy um, thing. Because, um, you know, we talk about how they're opposites all the time, but are they really, especially in the context of this show? Like, um, you know, how is it showing how empathy and psychopathy are actually like related to each other? Um, so does anybody feel like that's meaty enough to dive into i'm yes. intentionally doing all these puns by the way <laughs> <laughs> it totally is i think that um talking about opposites in this way especially in this relationship with will and hannibal um the i the paradoxical nature of opposites is that they inherently are the same thing just two different sides of it. Mm. So these two are the same, <laughs> but in opposite ways, right? <laughs> so I think that this is why when we, do they, yes. Yes, they do, obviously they meet each other for the first time in this episode. Um, I think this is why there is that spark in that scene yeah. when they first when they both first meet each other, where it's this recognition of like, you're my other thing. Yeah. You have what I want and vice versa, right? Because Will is constantly talking about how this pure empathy is such a um, specter for him, you know? Mm -hmm. And Hannibal needs more of it. You know, he yeah. longs for more of it. And I think that that obviously, like if we want to get really into Hannibal Lecter comes, that is one of the reasons why he wants to ingest people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to be a person. Mm -hmm. um, and so I find these two things. So um, this, this polarity specifically, so fascinating. Um, yeah. And I also related so much with Will Graham's experience of empathy that I actually ended up talking to my own therapist about it. And I was like, is this really a thing? And she was like, I've been meaning to talk to you about this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> She's like, there's a few things that I want you to look up and do some reading Just on. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is wild. Because I so related I, with that character in that way. Yes. Um, I 100% I feel the same exact way <laughs> as far as like relating to Will on the empath level. Because yeah. it's like, I, this is something that I, I have to a degree as well. Mm -hmm. um, where, and it's like when we talk about like, you know, when we talk about empaths, not in the world of Hannibal. <laughs> But in the real world, it's like, um, it's this like, 
yes, you can, you can read the room Yeah, and it's almost overwhelming hundred percent because you know, you can sense what everyone is feeling mm-hmm. and you feel like you need to kind of shape yourself to fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it gets really confusing. Mm-hmm. The boundaries come down mm-hmm. and it's really, really hard to kind of remember who you are, yeah. like who I am. Yeah. Um, when I'm having like major empath moments, uh-huh. it's like, wait, what is it that I want though? I yeah. can't remember because I'm so consumed with what everybody else wants. Yes. Um, and so I, I am relating to you, Kelly Sue. Yes. <laughs> but <laughs> interestingly, it's, it's also a reason I really relate to Will Graham too. Yes. Not that I can like recreate murders or anything but that that concept I'm like I I understand yes and I think that it's it's also that kind of like breaking down of of like kind of personal boundaries that it's like like because it's so easy for him to like fall into like the the viewpoint of a murderer it's so easy for him to fall into Hannibal Mm -hmm. and for their relationship to kind of like grow from there that they find each I mean that it's like yes Hannibal finds Will fascinating yeah um and Will just can't help himself around Hannibal (laughs) yep I just want to bring a a moment of appreciation for both Kelly Sue and her therapist, just in, in thinking of that moment when Kelly Sue said, so I really identify with the characters in this show, Hannibal, and we need to talk about that. It's true because what I said next was like, I really feel this pure empathy thing, but what is ultimately really freaking me out is that I also really identify with Hannibal's levels of curiosity about his surroundings and about other people. And I was like, I really feel this is the crux of my problem. (laughs) (laughs) That I'm so empathic and I'm constantly feeling other people's things. Like, I don't like to call myself an empath because I don't, I think everybody is an empath really. But this deep experience of empathy that I have mixed with an inability to control my own curiosity about other people um, has gotten me into a lot of trouble. You didn't bring snacks to that se- session, did you? I hope, like oh a little, <laughs> well, a little jerky. Yeah, and her her reaction was lovely, and I adore her very much. But um, yeah, this when you wrote this in here, Lisa, I was like, oh man. She and I have spent a lot of time talking about this question. Does anybody else have any like thing that they want to say about it? I know that I don't think of empathy and psychopathy as opposites necessarily. I think, and I think it's because I see, you know, I guess I see them. I'll speak to my own experience a little bit, just only in that I'm very comfortable in social settings. Very, I'm very comfortable in my own skin and I'm very comfortable having other people outside my skin, you know? Um, and I'm glad you're not I, very comfortable having other people inside your skin. I mean, just <laughs> like the other, yeah, that was a visual. Uh, I'm sorry. Sure. No, no problem. <clears throat> now I can see hands sticking out of me. Um, um, I, uh, 
I also, I feel, I've often felt like I'm good at connecting with people and getting to the, to the root of their feelings. I think it's what made me a successful bartender. Like, you know, knowing how to read a person quickly, you know? Um, and I guess I've always thought it in more clinical terms that I was, you know, unconsciously analyzing as opposed to empathizing, if that makes sense, you know? Um, but I'm also like, if I, when I read a room and I feel like the room has a certain vibe, I have a tendency sometimes to decide I'm going to take control of the vibe now and I'm going to manipulate the, 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 you know, the emotional read of this space to something that I want it to be. You know what I mean? Which when I say it, and when I say it like that, you know, it sounds a little psychopathish to me. You know what I'm saying? Sounds a little bit like, I don't care what you're feeling. You're going to feel what I want you to feel. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh. um, and it's, I don't know. They, I do feel a sort of hand in handedness as opposed to opposition there, you know? Claire, Phil, anything you want to add? Um, I think I would just add that I find it I find it really interesting that right up front in the episode, Will acknowledges that, or, you know, the, or that the show acknowledges that Will is presenting as if he's on an autism spectrum. Um, I, I'm interested because I've heard other people describe that as not so much being a spectrum. So you, you know, we feel this dichotomy because I think we think of, we think of, um, we think of it as this two-dimensional, you know, movement from one thing to the other. You're empathetic or you're, you're a psychopath. And I, I've heard other people describe um, autism or Asperger's or, or those kind of things as, as not necessarily being a spectrum where you fall along this two-dimensional line, mm -hmm. but that it is a layering of different neural um, variances i don't want to call them disorders right but just like very and so there's this layering of things that it it makes it makes trying to to think about somebody you know we're, we're inclined to want to think of will as being an empath and that's the label we put on it and it's the one thing we're thinking about um the same thing for hannibal and being a psychopath and I think the show goes a pretty long way to give us much, give us the, those layers of, you know, various things. And I don't even know what to, to label all of them, but clearly, you know, Will has other things going on and Hannibal is a more complex character than just this cold, um, I don't like using a lot of the words that people I think <laughs> usually describe a psychopath with, with, because I, again, I think it, it, it reduces things down to that just, you know, two dimensional um, look at a character. Uh, and I don't want to talk too much about it for those who, for Phil, for Philip in particular. Um, but I think as we move on through the season and the seasons to come that we we start to understand that there's so much more going on than just this this linear look at one thing or the other um and that's what's fascinating to me that that two and again it comes down to the word paradox that kelly sue was using it it's all about recognizing that 
two seemingly conflicting things can be going on at the same time in one person's head. And that is so much more representative of the real world and the way at least I feel like my brain works. I'm not a psychopath or, and I'm, I don't know if I'm an empath or not, but it, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm not a psychopath. So I, it, it just, it's fascinating. And it, it, it is a tribute to, I can attribute it to really good writing. Um, and I think a really good understanding of the characters by Hugh Dancy and Mads Mikkelsen. I think they really get that as well. Um, I'll add real quick that uh, I think it's very important that the scene in which uh, uh, Will says that he's never seen a psychopath like this, um, how that's, you know, I think that's a very important scene is setting up how this um, show is going to differ from other shows and how the same sort of uh, psychopathy that we've seen in other shows won't exist here, uh, how that's going to play out. I'm very curious to find out. Um, but also I do understand the way I relate to Will is I certainly understand how an overactive imagination can be many times more harmful than helpful, especially when dealing with social anxieties. Uh, that's where I immediately connected with Will. Um, but I think for now, that's kind of all I have to add to that conversation. All right. Well, you know, we got like 38 more. Yeah, 39 episodes. It, yes. So. Exactly. <laughs> um, so much coming, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> so. so much coming. <laughs> Uh, we have arrived at the exquisite corpse segment. Claire, um, tell us all about this week's field kabuki. Yes, so every episode, because we're never going to get away from uh, these visuals that we are treated to in Hannibal, uh, we are going to do a segment called Exquisite Corpse, in which we, uh, and I really want some good puns, like Lisa and Kelly Sue were the puns here, I don't know. We're, we're just going to go head first into the crime scene visuals that are presented for us. Um, and in Aperitif, this first episode, um, we, you know, we obviously have the, 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 the set piece of Cassie Boyle's body discovered in this field, impaled on a, uh, a stag's head on the antlers and in this just very dramatic um, artistic scene. Um, and what we want to look at, what we want to explore in this segment is really the symbolism and uh, the story um, and the meaning that we can take from these scenes. We, you know, I don't think the show intends just, you know, to gratuitously, you know, hand us these these artistically beautiful, grotesque scenes um, just for the sake of doing something shocking. Um, they always have meaning in this show. Um, so obviously, the imagery of stags and um, symbolism around hunting and field dressing and displaying, you know, uh, dead creatures <laughs> has uh, a lot of, of importance in this episode. So I'm interested to hear um, everybody's, what you take away from this scene, what you thought of it. Um, and 
and what you think the meanings are behind, uh, you know, this imagery of the stag and the antlers. The first thing that, because this, this actually really was something that struck me when I first watched this episode was how much they were right off the bat from the very beginning showing us that these serial killers are more than just villains. You know, that whoever is doing this is a person, has a life, and that there is a level of humanity underneath these acts. That it isn't just, you know, I'm this, I'm taken over by some supernatural devil. You know what I mean? There is a, a little bit of that, but all of the, the hunting and the using all of what you kill as, the, as being a virtue of hunting, all of that, it was like, there's a person behind all of this. And to set it up in this way at the very beginning with something as sort of primal as hunting, um, that's what the antlers said to me and this whole profile of the Minnesota Shrike and the care that went into these victims and setting up the field kabuki and all of that. Um, instantly, it's like, this is more than just, you're a bad guy. Um, and I really appreciated that. Lisa. I'll go. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, when I think symbolically of, you know, stags, antlers, they're generally like symbolic of virility. Um, and masculinity and dominance, really. Um, and it's like, I feel like that is all, you know, very much coming through since we know that this is a Hannibal kill and not, you know, a Garrett Jacob Hobbs kill. Um, that, and you know, you know, Will is talking about how it's, it's not honoring the victim. It's, it is an act of dominance over the victim. It is this, this act of superiority over the victim um and it's just so cavalier that um you know it's it's like what Hannibal said it was it was the gift he was giving Will so that he could see who the real killer is of the eight other girls um and I don't know it just the way the the way Cassie Boyle's body is laid out is also I mean I don't know what to say about this but I was definitely pinged about it looks like La Pieta like the way she's draped over them um or over the antlers and so I don't know what to say about the Jesus <laughs> symbolic or symbolism of that pose but that's definitely like that's I, I saw that in the pose um so yeah and then of course you know you've got the you've got the murder of crows <laughs> the carrion birds that are all like flying around and everything and so yeah there's there's a lot going on in this first kind of like murder display yeah I love that the imagery of the stag gets um mixed in with the crows ravens a lot of people call this thing that that uh, will sees the raven stag mm. uh, which is a gorgeous name I, that's the one i prefer um yeah i love that it 
it's this visualization like Philip was talking about getting to be in the mind, you know, Will's mindscape. It, this is how we are and how he is experiencing part of his mind that he doesn't know is working and has, you know, is connecting things that he cannot overtly acknowledge yet. Like he's he, he, somewhere deep in him, he is sensing and understanding that there is something bigger and um, more significant, like the biggest thing he's ever had to hunt, the most intimidating and, and beautiful at the same time. You, I mean, you look at the, um, the way the stag appears to him. Um, sometimes it's something that he's confronting head on. Sometimes it's something that's just kind of that he sees in the background of a scene and that, um, he, doesn't even really understand why it would, you know, why it would be there. Um, it's, it's a fascinating, um, fascinating imagery. Um, I, I do think it's interesting that you, you, Lisa, you mentioned kind of a masculine sort of field because the first thing I think about is Artemis when I think of stags and that's mm -hmm. very feminine and very, the moon and, and the wilderness, a very feminine sort of, uh, uh, pastiche, you know, kind of pastiche all of this, but, um, it's interesting because uh, the the more the, the death early on, you know, when she's laid in the bed, it's very different from the death, you know, the, the, the field kabuki. We're already presented with a sort of antler composition in the bed frame, kind of coming off her head. We see the, the antlers on the bed frame. So early on, we were getting those sort of visual cues um, of, like you, you mentioned uh, the, the, um, composition of the the body being draped and it, these are very much kind of i think maybe in hannibal's eyes noble sacrifices like uh this this girl's being sacrificed so that i can further will's kind of understanding of what's happening or you know that there is kind of a sacrificial element to this or whatever might be happening I, but i do think there is kind of um that sort of element of sacrifice happening like a forced attrition, almost like a forced sacrifice, obviously. But um, uh, one other thing I'd like to point out about the field kabuki scene is we don't see that scene through Will's mindscape. It is not, he doesn't have to go, or maybe he doesn't want to go that deeply into this. It's not, he's not seeing things, as, he doesn't need to see things in reverse. He doesn't need to see how this is set up. He just knows that he's being like toyed with and, and that kind of spitting in his face. It's a, it's almost shot more like a scene from seven than it is yeah. that sort of kind of ele elegant backwards, you know, getting into Will's head. Uh, you've got kind of a, the, the camera angles, the, you know, the harsh light kind of behind Will's head, uh, that sort of golden and very dark kind of contrast with lighting. It's, um, like it's meant to be a little more uh, in the, the handheld camera as well. Um, like this is more discombobulated. Even the music is very dissonant in this scene, which is very different from uh, when we see into Will's head earlier on when he's kind of walking through the, you know, the first murder scene at the house. It's um, we're presented with a very different kind of uh, landscape for for will like when he doesn't either know what exactly how to put things together or he doesn't want to step into that space so i i think it's um uh, 
there's a lot going on there with that, how that's presented and, and everything. Uh, I think my take on this sort of straddles the line between what Phil just said and what, what Lisa was saying earlier. Um, I too, when, when I think of antlers, I think of a certain masculine, powerful energy. Um, and I think, I, I feel like, but I also like Will think that it's important to see, to view this scene juxtaposed with the death of Elise Nichols earlier. Um, you know, because both were gored, you know, both both were, were gored by the, the antlers. But it's important that Elise Nichols was then dressed again. She was taken off the antlers. She was put in a personal private space. Whereas, you know, uh, what's her name? Cassie Boyle is laid out for the world to see naked um, and left on the antlers. Uh, and, and so there definitely is, you know, opposition between the two tableaus, so to speak. Um, I had not even realized or noticed that that Will doesn't seem to turn on his powers, so to speak, in, in the with the, the field kabuki. I think that's a good observation. Um, I, uh, but I think more than anything else, and this might be contextual for me, I might be seeing it in the context of the show as opposed to the episode. Um, I think this is a foundation stone. This is the first murder we see Hannibal commit, you know? Um, and I think the fact that it speaks that, that the symbolism of a certain, you know, masculine power there, I think is something that we will return to. And, you know, as soon as the next episode, you know, um, and kind of reveal something of why being a killer of men and women, you know, killer of humans is attractive, you know? Um, yeah, I think that there's, I think that this is saying something about Hannibal and why Hannibal does what he does, you know? And not just, you know, from a sense of, I've killed this person to present a negative so that Will can identify a positive, you know, which is, you know, the one thing. It's also, it speaks to how cavalierly Hannibal views the lives of others, you know, this person's life is best used to expand Will's horizons. Um, and I think, you know, I think the dialogue is, is very explicit here, you know, this killer thought this person was a pig you know, which is the crux of how Hannibal chooses people to kill, you know? I think I read somewhere, Justin, that they initially had filmed a scene with a, a, a living Cassie Boyle um, in conversation with Hannibal and how she was mm. apparently this like rude teenager who doesn't want to be in therapy. And so she's smoking a cigarette and blows smoke in his face. Mm. Um, so there is the, I think the intention originally was that there would be this depiction of, of, of the rudeness that triggers yeah. his selection of her. Um, and then that they were going to use the fact that she had smokers lungs as part of the food preparation part of that. Mm. And then they, they decided to back away from it because wow. it was maybe too much. 
I can't remember all of those wow. reasons. It's interesting, you know this. That. I know, right? The, I love the, that, and I love that. I love that they had the idea for it, but I also love that they didn't do it. I do too. I, yeah, I love, they didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the the seeming at this point randomness of the selection, you know, I think lends to that, you know, the unimportance of other lives to Hannibal. You know. Right. Yeah, it would have been too much too soon. I'm really fascinated by this conversation that we're suddenly having about masculine versus feminine. And because I think it goes back to, I, I don't remember, I apologize, it was either Kelly Sue or Lisa talking about how the show does a very good job of presenting the the, the killers, the, the psychopaths, and I'm thinking very much of Garrett Jacob Hobbs here as real people with complex issues that that they're dealing with and, and dealing with and they're just not they're not just these murder um evil murder people boy that was weird but okay anyway <laughs> you get they're what i'm just, saying they're not just stock villains yeah exactly exactly i think we can stick with evil murder people yeah, evil I'm, murder i'm people. into that yeah, yeah it's, i'm into that yeah. because i think we we feel that being mirrored in will in his emotional reactions when he sees Cassie Boyle's body in the field he reacts the way Garrett Jacob Hobbs he's already identifying with and and behaving the way Hobbs would react to that scene and feeling offended that this girl's body has been treated the way that it is has the way that it has been treated and and so we see already how Hannibal is starting to groom Will into identifying with and thinking the way you know extending his imagination about the inner life of this this murderer um he's already doing that there is a dis and when you compare Hannibal's actions with Garrett Jacob Hobbs there is I think a kind of a a, a masculine to feminine you know uh, paradox going on there as well, because Garrett J Jacob Hobbs never feels like a aggressive masculine, you know, like toxic masculinity hunter guy. It, it, there's a, there's a interesting dichotomy there too, where he's a hunter, but he's, he feels very in his, his, his uh, physique even is not, doesn't fit to me that mental image of the, the, I own a lot of guns and I go hunting kind of, you know, stereotype he feels very emotional and um softer than that i guess well we're given to understand in the course of this episode also like that this is a guy who loves his daughter you know like he, you know he puts he 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 elevates you know his daughter and she's important to him so yeah i think that i i, I think that's spot on well, that's exquisite corpse. Um, we're going to have so many more of these to dissect. <laughs> I got the pun in. I did it. Thanks, Claire. Mm -hmm. All right. Moving on to the recommendations section of Murder Husbands. Um, for this particular episode, Aperitif, I am going to hand it over to Philip to give us a recommendation of if you liked this episode of Hannibal, what else might you like? Phil, take it away. Yeah, so immediately, um, the moment uh, Will meets Hannibal and they start already kind of playing that sort of cat and mouse game, I was reminded of Death Note, the anime. 
Um, it is remarkable. There is a like three to five episode sequence that had me gripping my chair and my stomach churning because it is all a cat and mouse game. It's a, you know, there's a someone who's slowly realizing that they're a sociopath and they're given the power uh, that you don't want a sociopath to have. And they're on the other hand is a, an absolutely eccentric genius problem crime solver. Um, so you have kind of a, a similar dichotomy going on um, once all the story is set up. But uh, yeah, there's a specific series of events between our sociopath and a certain woman um, that is probably one of the most intense things I've ever watched. And there are, uh, and it's, it's, all, it's only conversation. Like that's all that happens is conversation uh, over a series of episodes. And so like watching this episode, I was immediately reminded of uh, Death Note, the anime, which I highly recommend. Oh man, that's a good one. Yeah. I haven't watched Death Note in a while, but God damn it, that's I, spot on. I haven't finished I've never so seen good. Death Note. My brother's been trying to get me to watch it forever. <gasps> yeah, I haven't finished it. I've only made it like uh, a certain, you know, far, you know, distance into it, but uh, I want to get oh. back to it. I feel like my son has watched this and talked to me about it a lot. And when I say talk to me about it is I'm not necessarily that much into anime. And I, I recognize that I should be probably more, but my, my brain does not quite get it yet. So, but my son likes to talk at me about anime all the time. I feel like this is one of those things where he was like, mom, <laughs> you've got you've to hear this. It's, it's, it's pretty remarkable um, what they do in this, uh, in this anime, yeah. Yeah, this is, one of, this is one of the classics of the genre. It's- Hi, Marks. Um, it's real good, y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> And I guess that uh, that ends the recommendation section for this episode. I love it. Well done. All right. Well, then really it's good. time for us to sign off. But first, I am going to go around to let everybody know where the people listening can find you outside of this podcast. Let's start with Kelly Sue. Ooh, yay. Uh, you can find me on the Instagram at Kelly Sue Says and also on Twitter at Kelly Sue says, and follow me because maybe that'll give me some impetus to actually tweet. Uh, you can also <laughs> follow me and my single video on TikTok at Kelly Sue says as well. Awesome. <laughs> Justin? Uh, I post a page of my hardboiled webcomic Hunter Black every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at hunterblackcomics.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at hunterblackcomx because I ran out of characters. Um, and uh yeah justinpenison.com i guess sounds good claire i am at unexpected hobby on facebook instagram and twitter my etsy store where you find all my geeky cross stitch patterns is unexpected hobby as well and you can find my book a geek's guide to cross stitch journeys in space on the fan base press website awesome philip I am at Philip Creates across all social media. Nice and simple. Um, you can find me at Cat Weber on all the social medias. Um, and you can find Hex 11, the book that Kelly Sue and I make together, at hexcomics.com. Um, and it's that the bomb, is by the our way. Oh, thanks, Justin. Thanks, Justin. <laughs> 
Um, and that wraps up our first episode of Murder Husbands. Um, you can um, give us a follow at Popsicle Pod on all of the social media channels. Give us a subscribe mm-hmm. and a follow. We would really appreciate that. Um, that is P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D. You can also listen to other things we have talked about. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked about The Expanse. We've talked about Sandman. And we did those with the fan base press. And you can find episodes of those shows um, on Fanbase Weekly. We'll see you next time to talk about mushroom people. And until then, happy hunting. This has been a Popsicle Podcast production.